everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope the content encourages you and helps you build your faith. Now enjoy the message. John 6, 1 through 13. Oh, we got a little time. Worship gave me a little extra time. You know what that means, right? We're going over. We're going over, people. <laughs> One amen. One is like, great. The others are like, I'm not missing kickoff. You better figure it out, pal. John 6, 1 through 13. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd gathered, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. That word spoke up in the Greek is to say spoke on consensus. So he spoke for all the disciples. In other words, the disciples said, hey, it would take a half year's wages to feed all of these people, and we ain't got it. And so he said, go find something. They went out, and Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, comes, and he says, hey, Jesus, we went out, and this is the best that we can do. He's speaking on behalf of all of them. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, had the people sit down. <clears throat> there was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, including women and children. Some estimate close to 10,000 people. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves, left over by those who had eaten. I tell people this all the time, uh, and I'm sure you've heard me say it as well. You, know, you are at a tremendous disadvantage if you see the results of something without knowing the journey it took to get there. You are at a tremendous disadvantage. If, and in, in the world of social media, this is generally about all you get. You get the success, and you get the platform, and you get the influencer, but you don't get the journey that it took to get there. So we spend our lives wanting and desiring and wishing for the success that somebody has achieved while not knowing the journey that it takes to get there. And if you don't know the journey that it takes to get there, you can't really answer yourself the question, if you could actually handle what they have. So I, I was speaking to uh, another pastor and I were talking to a group of undergraduate Bible college students who want to be pastors of churches. And so as we were talking, I asked the question. I said to one of them, uh, hey, what do you want? Like, what, what is it that you want in ministry? And he said back to me, and I think he was just being nice, he said, I want what you have. I want to be pastoring a church. I want to be pastoring a church on a college campus. There's something that makes college campus added to that really, really cool for some people. But I said, I want to pastor a church on a college campus like you. And I said, okay, well, then the question is, are you willing to pick up trash? And he said, what? What are you talking about? Is this a job interview? Is this an opportunity or what? 
And I said, would you be willing to pick up trash? And I told him a story. You know, my first job in ministry was a middle school ministry intern. You know what that's Greek for? Do whatever we tell you. <laughs> Clean the bathrooms, fix the sound, run the cables, figure out the chairs. Whatever. I didn't know that at the time, right? So my first day on the job, I'm middle school ministry intern. I got all dressed up and cleaned up. I wanted to wear my best that I had. I showed up, had my Bible in my hand. I thought we were just going to, you know, show up and read the Bible together and talk about Jesus together and pray for people and feed the hungry and prepare sermons and do all this great stuff. And so I got there and I walked through the doors. No sooner did I walk through the doors. My first day was July 5th, July 4th, the church had this massive July 4th party, party on the hill. There was fireworks, there was cooking and food and tailgating and a mini festival and all of this just stuff. Thousands of cars had come to this party, this 4th of July party. And so I walk in and said, hey, who's the middle school intern? It's me. I'm the middle school intern. They said, great. We need you to go clean the hill. I said, what? Come at me again? Isn't there Bible study and devotions first? He said, no, we need you to go clean the hill. And he handed me a shovel handle with a nail at the bottom of it and and a roll of 30-gallon trash bags. And he said, have fun. Welcome to ministry. I remember walking out there. I had never seen so much trash in my life. I punch a piece of trash, put it in the trash, punch a piece of trash. And you know how... Trash, it, it, when, you, when you're collecting that kind of trash, there's pop and there's candy and there's nacho cheese and there's all this junk and there's a hole in the bottom of the trash bag and it's leaking out and it's leaking all over me. My, my legs were sticky. My shoes were nasty. I had trash all over me. I drove a little S10 pickup at the time and I was putting those bags of trash in there. I piled it higher than my cab. I had bags of trash everywhere. I couldn't figure out where to put it. We didn't have a dumpster. So I was driving around town covered in trash with a tailgate full of trash, finding little dumpsters to throw trash in so I could get rid of it. That was my first day on the job, first job in ministry. And I am convinced today, I am 100% convinced that I would not be here if I wasn't willing to pick up trash there. I'm convinced I would not be right here if I wasn't willing to do what I didn't want to do or didn't feel like doing then. You are at a tremendous disadvantage if you see the results of something and you want the results without knowing the journey that it took to get there. When I think of John chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000, the miracle that we just read, I think of that story. When you don't know what happened to lead up to the feeding of the 5,000, you're only getting the results without the story. You're getting the results without the journey. The message is not in the feeding of the 5,000. The message is in what occurred getting to that point. And you recognize this, right? The, The miracle was as much a rebuke as it was a blessing. The feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of multiplying the food, it was as much blessing the people that were there to eat as it was rebuking the disciples for their disbelief. It was as much blessing as it was miracle. So here's what I want to do. 
I want to talk about the feeding of the 5,000, and I never want to talk about the 5,000, uh, the feeding of it. I don't want to talk about the miracle at all. I don't want to talk about the multiplication of the food. I want to talk about the journey that led to it, because we have to wrap our minds around what was the journey to get to feeding of 5,000, not that, wow, he took five loaves, two fish, and fed 5,000 people. So here we go. The first thing we have to understand in understanding what led to this miracle, it's, it's three points with a bonus at the end, so we'll call it four. Number one is this, they forgot the past. What, what caused this to happen? What spurred this about? The first thing is this, they forgot, completely forgot the past. John chapter 6, 1 through 7, I'll read it to you again. Listen to this. So time af- sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. Here you go, verse 2. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Why was the crowd following him? They saw the the miracles. They saw him healing the sick. How does he have a crowd of 5,000 surrounded? What made them show up? They showed up because of the miracles that he was doing. They showed up because of the signs that he was doing. The very reason they're sitting there, they're standing there, they're crowded around him, is verse 2 tells us they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the crowd coming toward him, he said, What shall we do to buy enough bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them, for he already knew in his mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. They have gathered because of his ability to do a miracle, and yet the disciples are doubting him in the moment. Do you see the disconnect between the God that we believe in and the faith that we have in the moment? The God we have, the faith of the moment, where is the disconnect? Because they had gathered because of his ability to do a miracle, yet in the moment, the disciples are saying, whoa, 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 I don't know if we have enough. You want to jump even further into the context of this. Jesus had done 18 miracles leading up to this point. Before we even get to the 5,000, I'll read them to you. Here they are. Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Jesus heals an official son at Capernaum in Galilee. Jesus drives out an evil spirit from the man in Capernaum. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law with a fever. Jesus heals many sick and oppressed people that evening. His first miraculous catch of the fish in the lake of Gennesaret was happening that evening. Jesus cleanses a man with leprosy. Jesus heals a centurion's paralyzed servant in Capernaum. Jesus heals a paralytic man who was let down from a roof. Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead. Jesus calms a storm on the sea. Jesus casts demons into a herd of pigs. Jesus heals a woman in the crowd with a blood issue. Jesus raises Jairus' daughter back to life from the dead. He heals two blind men. He heals a man who's unable to speak. And he heals a crippled man at poolside in Bethesda. He does 
all of these miracles in front of them. Yet in the moment where they need it, what happens? What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? It's the disconnect between the God that we know, the God that we worship, the God that we love, the God that we believe in, and the faith of the moment. The question is, what is informing my faith in the moment? They completely forgotten the past. They forgot what God could do. They forgot what God was capable of. They forgot what his power was able to do, his miracles that he had done. How have, I ask myself, I'm saying, Lord, how does this connect with me? I'll be really, really honest with you. There, I, I read this book, and we have start from the very beginning to creation, to parting a sea, to leading us through plagues, to freedom, to rebuilding the nation, to Jesus' resurrection, and on in between. We have miracle after miracle, and God, I believe you. God, I trust you. God, I know who you are. And then all of of a sudden, in the middle of May, when we're at stay-at-home orders and we're only allowed to have 10 people in a room and we're filming church on a Thursday night, I'm walking around saying, Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How do I make it through this, God? I don't know what's going to happen. I will preach a message on the God of the miraculous, the God who does incredible things, the God with great power, yet I will forget what he has done in a moment when I'm not willing to rest in faith. What is informing your faith? What is stealing your faith of the moment? Is it watching the news? Is it placing everything on an election that is coming? Is it being so consumed with that? That we talk about a God that does exceedingly abundantly more than we can imagine or think. And his power is beyond the grips of any man. Yet we allow ourselves moment after moment after moment after moment to see something. To scroll to something. To read something. And then all of a sudden become paralyzed in our faith. Say, man, Lord, what are we going to do? If this happens, what are we going to do? If this occurs, how will we make it? Heard that a million times. It will be the end if this happens. What are we going to do? What's happening to us? We're being the disciples in the midst of a miracle-making God. We're being the disciples right in front of a God who has said, Have you not seen everything I've done? Have you not seen what I'm capable of? Have you not seen what I can do? They forgot the past. What led to this miracle was their inability to remember what God has continually done over and over and over. Number two, not only did they forget the past, they had a limited perspective. Once they were approached with something that God could use to do something with, their perspective was so limited they couldn't see past their lack. John 6, 8 through 9. Says another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? It's amazing to think about where, where is the other time that we've heard that kind of rationale? Oh, this is, this is all the food we got. What are we going to do? What's the festival they were getting ready to celebrate? The festival of Passover. 
What's the message behind the festival of Passover? It was the 10th plague for the children of Israel. And if they put the goat's blood on their doorpost, the angel of death would pass over their house so that they could leave in the morning into the wilderness to freedom so that they could worship God. And when they get to that place of being where God wants them to be, what's the first thing they do less than 30 days in? We got no food. What are we going to eat? How are we going to have anything to eat? Did God lead us out of Egypt to starve us in the wilderness? Is God trying to kill us? And what does God do? He multiplies food. He's already done it. It's the very festival that they celebrate. It's God's miraculous ability to send manna down from the sky to multiply quail and to feed them to the full in the midst of their lack. Yet here in this moment, their perspective is so limited. It's so small. They can't see what God is capable of. Take it for a minute. You want to go on a rabbit trail of the five small loaves and two small fish. That word small means tidbit. We're talking about a very, very little amount. We're talking about minnows. We're talking about little bitty minnows and a couple crumbs of bread. Barley loaves were just the disgusting bread. It was the throwaway bread. They fed it to their livestock and animals. When it was time to feed the animals, they took the barley loaves. And that's, they said, hey, grab a couple of those barley loaves. The dogs are hungry. Grab a couple of those barley loaves. The cows are hungry. And isn't it amazing to think that God takes the ingredients that they would reject and he makes a miraculous meal out of it? God is able to take the ingredients that the world rejects and make something incredible out. That's hope for you today. Oh, come on, 11 o'clock. I mean, if there's no more hope that we can walk away with, it's the realization that God can take the rejected, nasty, useless ingredients that the world would label and turn them into a miraculous meal. If anything is a testimony of that, it's me. I, I am the worst ingredients to be a pastor. I, learned, I grew up without a father figure, did nothing but cause trouble, always in trouble, always rebelling. Anytime there was an authority above me, I was fighting against it. I wasn't willing to hear it. I remember a teacher one time described me to my mom. He said, it's like Luke is backed into a corner fighting against everything that we say. I was angry. I was always in trouble. I wanted nothing. And I am telling you, Jesus rescued me, rescued me, pulled me out of rebellion, pulled me out of anger, pulled me out of trouble, welcomed me into his family, adopted me as one of his sons, and I mean, I was the worst ingredients to be a pastor, yet he can take the worst ingredients and turn them into a meal for many and feed many with it. So let me ask you, what, what does God want to do in you? What is the ingredients that he wants to mix together and what does he want to do in you? Why are you limiting yourself to what you have and not understanding he is the God of more than enough? He's the God who's able to provide for you. He's the God who's able to take your testimony that you are embarrassed of, that you don't want to talk about, that you think disqualifies you and use it as a message to feed Many. His desire is for you to quit being so limited in your perspective. If he's there, we're good. Okay, so now what we do is we, we take a turn here, okay? We got those two first pieces out of the way. Now we see two different crowds. 
This is what I was saying. This is as much a blessing and a miracle as it is a rebuke. I want you to see these two because I think it's important for us to catch this at the end, all right? Here is the first crowd that received from the miracle. Are you ready? It's John 6, 10 through 11. It says, Jesus said to them, have the people sit down. Sit down. I'm preparing a meal. It's time for you to eat. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Did you see what happened there? Did you see what they did? Let me give you, I'll tell you a story. I think it illustrates it well. I was, uh, when, when the pandemic first hit and we first got stay-at-home orders, um, I, I heard everyone's buying up toilet paper, paper towels, and water. So I was like, man, I got to go get some toilet paper, paper towels, and water. I ain't about no leaves or anything like that. So we, we rushed out. I took off to Sam's Club. And so I got to Sam's. And when I got to Sam's Club, there were cars packing the entire parking. Let's say it was 5,000 cars. There were 5,000 cars filling the entire park. There's nowhere to park. I wound up parking in a grass median, and then I went looking for a basket. There were no baskets. All of the baskets were completely gone. There was nothing. And as I was walking into the store, and I mean, there was just a line out the door of people, right? As I was walking out, there was this country boy, and I could tell he was mad. His boots were clicking. He was walking so hard on the pavement. You know, click, click, click. He was all upset. And he looked at me, and I, he and I caught eyes. And when we caught eyes, I was kind of like, What's that? and he said, don't even waste your time, brother. He said, that, that place is a mess. They ain't got no water. They ain't got no toilet paper. And they ain't got no paper towels. You know what I did? I turned around and left. I'm not messing with that. The line out the door. There's people everywhere. There's no baskets. It's already gone. Last thing I'm going to do is stand in line and waste half my day to get in there and get nothing. Right? Think about what this crowd did. Because this crowd shows up because they're starving. They're hungry. They're desperate for food. And they gather around the man who they have heard is performing miracles, is doing great wonders that could be the Messiah. And as they're gathering around, the people that are working the crowd, the disciples, the followers, they're, they're the ones forming the lines. They're the ones saying, hey, come over here. They're walking around the crowd and they're saying, is there anything around here? Man, I don't know how we're going to feed these people. We don't need half year's wages to feed all of these people. I guess we got one boy here, five loaves and two fish. And he walks up to Jesus and everybody's watching and the crowd is there. And he says, hey, Jesus, we've searched and we've tried. The best we can do is five loaves and two fish. Let me ask you something. Are you sitting down at that table? What did they do? They sat. They sat down. They committed to God in the midst of not enough. In other words, they said, there may not be enough to feed us, but we believe in the God who is more than enough. Let me ask you a question. What is God asking you to sit in that you keep walking away from? What is God challenging you to sit in? He's saying, hey, it may not look like there is much here, but I just need you to sit down. I just need you to commit to it. 
I just need you to believe that I have the ability to bring more than enough to your situation, even if it's not there. Is it your marriage? Hey, it may look like marriage is a mess, and there's not a lot there. But God is saying to you, will you still sit? Will you still commit instead of quitting and running away? Because my blessing is not going to be if you're not sitting there waiting to receive it. Your children? Your kids? You're just praying for them, and you're serving them, and you're loving them, and you're trying to get them where you want them to be, and they keep rebelling, and they keep challenging you, and you just feel like quitting. You just feel like giving up, and yet he's saying, if you will sit, just sit down and watch my faithfulness pour out. It may not look like you have much to work with right now, but he is more than enough. And if we're willing to sit and we're willing to grind and we're willing to commit and we're willing to be there, we see his blessing pour out. That's the first crowd, right? Crowd that was willing to sit. Isn't that incredible? 10,000 people, no food, and yet they say, I will sit down and believe that God can feed me. Here's your second crowd. It's John 6, 12 through 13. By the way, aren't you just... I love this. I wrote this corny pastor humor, but I said, Jesus loves leftovers. I wrote that at the top of my, my notes. He does. He loves leftovers. Who in here loves leftovers? Let me see. All the men <laughs> and some women, too. Okay. Hey, I'm I'm leftovers fan. I love the I keep everything. I save everything. They come up to me at a restaurant and they're like, Would you want a do you want a box for that? And I'm like, Yeah. It's like two bites of chicken. I'm like, I will add that to something the next day, right? I will piece together a lunch of like three boxes of leftovers. Got a little steak, got a little chicken, got a little salad, got a meatball from here, and there you go. It's like, I, I, I am a man of leftovers. I'm trying to teach my kids this. I got a friend who we were, we were talking about parenting and talking about kids and not eating what they're given. You know, I won't, I won't tell you who it is, but he's working the, the middle camera right now. If you know Jeremy, then you know who it is. But if you don't, I won't tell you who it was. But he's telling me a story about uh, one of his kids wanted spaghetti. So he made spaghetti, right? And he put the plate of spaghetti down. They wouldn't eat the spaghetti. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. You are going to eat that plate of spaghetti before you eat anything else. I don't want spaghetti. Then you go to bed hungry. Fine. Kid goes to bed, puts spaghetti in the fridge. Next morning, kids be like, I'm so hungry. What's for breakfast? Play spaghetti. <laughs> Microwaves the play spaghetti. Sets play spaghetti down. Have your breakfast because you're going to eat that plate of spaghetti before you get anything else. Why? There's a message in those leftovers. There's something there that's not to be wasted. We're not going to throw it away. My son, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Is this not true? You know what I'm going to tell him, right? The other morning, I said, what do you want for breakfast? I'm willing to make you whatever you want for breakfast. What does he say? Mayo sandwich. I said, what? And then he said, meat sandwich. I want a meat sandwich, daddy. I'm like, what? I looked at Anna. She's like, making the sandwich. So I put mayo on bread, piece of cheese, and some turkey, closed the bread, cut it in half. I'm like, here you go, 7 a.m., there's your meat sandwich. You know what he did? I want a meat sandwich for breakfast. You know what I did? 
what Jeremy did. I said, you will eat that meat sandwich, and that will be the last thing that you eat. And until that thing is gone, you are not getting fruity pebbles, cinnamon toast crunch, toast and jelly, eggs, or whatever. You're going to eat it. Why? Because there's a message in the leftovers. And when we were getting ready to wrap this up, I was reading and I was saying, Lord, what do you, what do you want here? And he kept speaking to me, there's a message in these leftovers. There's a message in these leftovers. So let me see if you catch this message. Let's wrap it up here. John 6, 12 through 13. It says, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples. How many disciples are there? Twelve. Twelve disciples, right? Hold on to that. He said, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Jesus loves those leftovers. Verse 13. You can preach that to your kids tonight at dinner when they're not eating. The Lord said, let nothing be wasted. Verse 13. So they gathered them and filled how many baskets? Twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Catch the imagery here right? Catch the irony. There are 12 disciples. There were 12 people who didn't think this could happen among 10,000. And there are 12 people walking out of the field with a basket of more than enough. With a basket overflowing. So I'm asking the Lord, right? I'm saying, okay, Lord, I see the irony. The people that were willing to sit down and the people that were willing to believe that you had more than what was present, they enjoyed your blessing right there. But Lord, there was also a group that doubted you. There was also a group that didn't think that you could do it. And they walked out of the field with a basket of more than enough. What's the message? I was praying this all last night. I was saying, Lord, what is it? What do, you, what do you want me to communicate? You have one that is faithful, and they were on fire, and they believed, and they sat, and they received, and they ate. And then you had one that doubted. One didn't know what to do. One didn't believe that you could do it. And they walked out of the field with a basket of leftovers. What's the message? And the Lord spoke so clearly to my heart. He's the God of both. He's the God of both. What does that mean? That he's the God of you who have been faithful. And you have sat when there wasn't anything there and you stayed faithful and you believed that God would do it. And he showed up and he gave you all that you wanted and more. And he met your needs and you ate at his table. He's your God. But he's also your God if you're his follower and you've been in here and you've been struggling with doubt. You've been struggling with worry. And you've been struggling with fear. And you've been struggling with unbelief and you've been asking yourself, what do I do? How do I handle this? How do I make sense of this? The message is so clear. He's still your God. He still has a basket for you that he wants you to carry out of here today that is overflowing with all that he has in the midst of your doubt. I love Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, a man comes to Jesus and he says, will you heal my daughter? And Jesus says, anything is possible for those that believe. And what does the man say back? He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my doubts. Help my fear. Help my worry, help my unbelief. And what does Jesus do? Heals the daughter. He does the miracle. In other words, he's saying, you can receive what I have for you in the midst of your doubt. You can have a little doubt and still follow. 
You can still have doubt, and he's still your God. He's still willing to meet you, and that's what I believe the Lord wanted me to leave with you today is for those of you, you've been in faith, you've been great, you've been sitting at the table, and God's been blessing you, and that's great. He is your God, and he will continue to do it. But for those of you in here today who have doubt, who have worry, who have fear, who've been questioning, and you're following, and you're here, and you want to, but you've had some real struggles, he's saying to you today, I'm your God as well. I have a basket for you today. A basket overflowing. Same story of the prodigal son. He leaves, he comes back to a meal. The other son said, why would you do this for the one that left you? He said, because he is my son and I will celebrate the return of my son. You may have been away, but you've come back. And he has a meal for you as well. Everybody, thanks again for joining us. We believe God has something great for your life. And we hope this message encourages you to take the next step in your faith. Have a great week.